The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen now. I coach a, um, with a travel softball organization. So kids from age 12 to 18 and um, they for obviously for weeks and, and on weeks, nothing was happening with that school was being closed down. And as they started going into these phased openings, we looked at like how we could do that and what would be, you know, is it possible? And we basically established, we like, we set up a, a task force to do that. We had like a, a state trooper, two doctors, two nurse practitioners, and, uh, and a couple of other um, medical people that looked into all of the details to come up with, okay, this is how we could do it based on what the, you know, authorities are, are saying for approaches mm -hmm. and came up with ways to do that. But that's all outside stuff. That's like, you know, you can set up, you can do things socially distanced outside and be relatively safe. Whereas inside, you know, you, you definitely need yeah. masks. And I think, and, and I hope people start to gear into that. You know, there's been a lot of inconsistency and in messages from a lot of different angles and you just, at this point, what I would hope is, and I would, what I've been trying to do, like, even when I, I think I told you, I went down uh, to, to see my mom for the first time in person in a few months. And, um, you know, she's 90 going on 90 and a half and she's, uh, she, she's lived through quite a bit. So she's <laughs> even like, uh, like, Oh, this, this all, you know, makes me wonder. And, and I'm like, yeah, just don't, you know, my family's been pretty good in terms of when they've been going to see her they will not go inside and when, even when they early on when they were outside it was all masked which and i was trying to tell her i was like this is you know just smart to keep you safe that's what yeah. it's about it's not about this isn't about like anyone trying to tell anybody what to do it's just following with the best protocols that we have right now so hopefully people get there you know i yeah definitely there's no shortage of ways that you can see people that are you know, I don't know what the word I would be even looking for there. I'm not, I don't think it's eager. It's just more like, uh, just too nonchalant at times saying, you know, and I think there's, there's a case to be made for, you know, wanting to be quote unquote normal, but I don't think that that's a reality. There's a, you know, a different type of, of thing that can be done in, in terms of getting out and doing things with people and, and being smart about it. And hopefully people are going to be, you know, mm -hmm. using history as a lesson. It's amazing. Like how little information early on was shared of like what went on in, in the 1918, 1919. And all of a sudden, I don't know, I saw probably a month ago where photos started to surface where they were showing, you know, people wearing masks and it's starting to read articles where you know it was encouraged by health professionals i'm like it's not a big deal you know this is like until we've got a way around this this is a practical approach to mitigating disaster and uh i think if if everybody could you know cop to that aspect i think it would be pretty good you know <laughs> just like do, do, do a basic thing it's no big deal yeah. you know it's not <laughs> like uh it's not going to be the end of your you know your your freedom or freedom or... or liberty or anything of that nature. And I'm a big, I would be the first person to say I'm a big freedom and liberty person, but at the same time, freedom and liberty comes with, you know, also being responsible and, you know, you gotta be right now we're in an interesting time. So let's, uh, let's just try to be responsible within it. There's nothing, there's, there is no shame in wearing a mask to try to mitigate a problem. Uh, it doesn't make anyone less of a, a person. Yeah, Spider-Man wears a mask. He's cool, right? 
all the time. <laughs> imagine, imagine having Iron Man's mask. Yeah. See, and the superheroes that people don't like, it's like, oh, Superman, uh, you know, he's overplayed. He doesn't wear Aquaman. Psh, he just talks to fish. He doesn't wear a mask. Yeah, don't listen to those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to season five, episode four of the Better Band podcast, an all-encompassing trip through the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Palomo. Each episode, my guest and I go track by track through every album, soundtrack, and single to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon, and today I am talking with Patrick Bogle. Hello, Patrick. Hey, Brandon. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? I am doing well myself. That's good. We got to pretend like we didn't already ask each other that when we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we oh man, maybe I'll change. Oh, I don't know. Well, whatever. It's a, it's, it's a, a little peek behind the curtain for the people listening. Maybe, maybe I don't want to shatter the illusion. Like we just started talking right now. Exactly. Uh, but we have the last song on side a for you today for yield pilot, a, uh, a song that Jeff, wrote i was looking at the the album artwork and i remembered i'm like why did they go to this chaos with this record because especially with the cd version at the time where it wasn't like none of the pages were in order it was like what and mentioning the cd booklet uh of of course everybody has theirs out and you're going to look for the little yield sign uh, to the right of Jeff on the mountains there. It's pretty, it's one of the easier ones to find you. It's pretty obvious where you can see it there. Yes. Yes. That is one of the few ones that stands out very clearly. And uh, let's see. A lot of people first heard this uh, as the second song on the Given to Fly single. If you happen to uh, to buy that CD or the uh the seven inch when it came out, uh, or you heard it when they played it on the 98 Monkey Wrench Radio before the album came out, which technically is their first time playing it, but uh, yep. I, they, they, the first time they played it live in front of people was in uh, Australia on March uh, 20th of 98. Yeah, I mean, there were people at the, at the warehouse, and they, they were just select people. <laughs> yeah. Friends of the, let's call them friends of the people. Um, but uh, that was actually, it's funny, like the, I, I thought when they played that, uh, that Monkey Red show and the, the songs that they ended up playing off for Yield, it got, got me extremely excited because I thought that was like a precursor to like, okay, because I, I quite like this song. It's so interesting and has so many layers. And I was like, oh, they're going to play this one a lot because if they played it tonight, they're feeling good about it. Mm -hmm. And as history would say, that didn't pan out. <laughs> um, <laughs> it became something of a, uh, it's amazing to me. And like, you look back at it, they played it once with Jack Irons in front of an audience. You know, obviously there was complications uh, to why that happened, but one time in Australia, that, that uh, Far East tour, and then uh, a few times, obviously with uh, Matt and the, the first leg of the U S tour and, um, Gosh, I don't even think that they played it maybe a couple of times when they did their second leg that year. I can't even remember looking back on that one. But it's it's amazing to me that how few times the song has been played because it feels like it's a song that's conceivably in their wheelhouse, but it just 
it's not something they've gravitated to. Yeah, I didn't have like all the all the radio shows and stuff like that that Pearl Jam has done. Like, I don't know, like if I I, I don't think I ever listened to any of them either because um, like my radio station didn't carry it because it's not you know the alternative station here or whatever like that isn't real huge or anything like that, and just because it didn't. Or maybe because I didn't know, because I think that um, the the internet was around. It wasn't super huge and everything like that. I think everybody's still mostly on AOL and stuff. But like, it wasn't like it it wasn't easy to find out things like that unless you were you know maybe listening to the radio at the right time and they and they uh, uh, promoted it at least as far as as I was concerned. Yeah, it was this I feel like this one wasn't as promoted as when they did the the self pollution one in 95. I mean it they definitely was out there, but it also wasn't picked up nearly as much. In 95, they were so huge that every station carried it and I think mm-hmm. in 98 they had, you know, fallen or actually the music of the time had fallen from graces if they if you, I guess is the the way to think of that so it wasn't nearly as like gotta have it type of thing so there was definitely not as much of a a gravitas towards um towards this one this was like the beginning stages this 98 of um the dawn of internet and downloads because yield obviously being the record that um that ultimately had its leak via mp3 so that was the other thing about uh, about this one yeah this was like the the infamous uh there was a radio station in syracuse new york that got a copy of the promo and somebody who was somehow connected with that radio station and also in uh a a digitally minded student at Syracuse University figured out some way to create the MP3 protocol on his computer and started publishing it. Um, and there was a cease and desist order and it was a, it was a whole big to do, but yeah, yield in itself leaked early via of all things, a Syracuse, New York radio station. Those damn New Yorkers always a criminal enterprise. Of, no, that's, <laughs> it didn't have anything to do with the mob, right? That's not a, or the mob doesn't exist. Is that the, no. uh, not not in Syracuse, no. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, it, it pretty much uh, Jeff, yeah, Jeff wrote the the music and the lyrics, and uh, it said that Ed it said to the band that he wanted more complete ideas. I don't know if it was because he was feeling a little overwhelmed with being sort of the front man and doing a bunch of the songs on Vitology and No Code, or if uh, he wanted kind of more the band sort of coming together and being a band and everybody feeling like they had more input and more buy-in into it. Or if he had a, one of his legendary bouts of, uh, of uh, writer's block around this time. Yeah. I, I definitely think it was a lot of it. I had, I think had to go back down to him wanting to break through the, I guess a little bit of the stigma that he had taken over the band and it was his band and you know, what was going on with Vitology. It's interesting to me when I think about the transition from Vitology to no code to yield, because realistically, when you look at no code, there actually is quite a bit of collaboration on the surface. At least when you look at that record, there's, you know, people coming in, you know, in the band writing music, you know, obviously stone writing full on song where he, wrote the music, wrote the lyrics, sang the song. But there there definitely was that element in the air that uh, that it had become Ed's band. And I think this was 
you know, this definitely was his record of saying, I don't want I don't want to be that guy. I like I, I want to have a focus and I want to have an idea and I'm really intense about what I do. But I think this, you know, and obviously I think to some extent, you know, part of the the part of the yield, part of the yield is them giving way to the, you know, the the times, the industry itself and saying, you know, we're not going to be we're not going to butt heads with everything. But I think internally it, it, it it's a a mantra in and of itself that, you know, everybody has to give a little bit to get the most out of the band. And I think it's, it's uh, fascinating in terms of the results of this record. I think like artistically, this record is almost, while it's not personally my favorite record of theirs, it's certainly as sound a record as they've made in their, um, in their careers. It's got that, like it, you can feel the energy where they're all back sort of, creatively and um, you know just feeling a good vibe about the art they're creating from beginning to end um and it comes through very clearly i don't think there's at least to me it certainly feels like it comes through very clearly there isn't like a uh, a lapse in that in that like or discord in terms of what they're trying to communicate you could see to some extent that in in, in even in a little bit no code certainly in vitology vitology is not you know it's a probably a, one of my favorites, but it's not. It there's there's a lot of conflict going on in that one. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. It is. A, it's a real cohesive sounding album. I think that you didn't really have uh, since verses Vitology. You it, it's you know has the interludes and stuff like that, where it's kind of sounds kind of just patched up together and. No code has the sort of songwriting experimentation and stuff like that, where it's kind of like, oh wow, that's some weird sort of stuff coming from all over the place. And like Yield feels like, oh, it's like, oh yeah, like everybody was like together and they all wrote the songs like all together because it all really fits and it all sounds just it it this is the sound of Pearl Jam. Yes. Yep. Yeah. This song is one of the two literarily inspired tracks on this album. Base uh, Jeff wrote it after reading the book uh, The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgov, a Russian writer uh, written in the early 90, 1900s, I mean, uh, 1930s, 1920s or so. Jeff said that, uh, I think pilot was the question I was asking myself and low light was the answer. Yeah. Kind of writing it about uh, he wanted to... He had a, a dream where he wanted to be old and have his sit with his dog on the porch, just kind of getting old and and wondering what what, what life uh, held for you uh, later on down the road. And and of course, we both read the book, right, to get ready for this uh, podcast. I I actually did. Um, I and I am kind of uh, kick myself for not having delved into this book at the time when this record came out. I did delve into the um the books that and the the singular book that was probably the genesis of a lot of yield and certainly a lot of uh do the evolution being um ishmael um and i had actually ended up reading all of those daniel quinn um books which are quite fascinating but this is this was like outstandingly interesting to delve into both from like a reading of it, but understanding the history of how this was written, why it was written, what it was about, and trying to understand where Jeff's angle 
was with this is just like quite phenomenal. Like, and I don't want to, I, I, I'd almost like not want to spoil too much about the book, but to say that people should definitely go read it because it's, it's incredibly fascinating. This tale of like three stories happening simultaneously that involve, um, you know, life as it was happening in the, uh, late 20s, early 30s, or actually late 20s through the 30s and early 40s and, and what um, was at the time, you know, the early stages of um, Soviet Russia. Um, but at the same time, the story being told from the perspective of, of Pontius Pilate and his relationship to Jesus of Nazareth, which is just fascinating, which seems like uh, where most of the angle, not terribly shocking um of what pilot comes from uh, <laughs> uh, but it's and then the obviously the, the other angle of the whole story is um is actually margarita talking about you know the the master and his writing of the actual novel in the novel which is just incredible and when you when you get to understand the means in which this book was being um was written it's it's un you know it's quite uncanny <laughs> at the time that it was being written, how it was being written and then how it came to light, because this obviously didn't ultimately get into uh, people's hands into long after um, Mikhail uh, Bogogov died. And he, so it was like 67 or 68 when it actually finally got published. Um, and it's been published in a lot of different um, uh, variations and slight um, uh, differences of, of, I guess of reading of what he was, you know, trying to come across with how he had, uh, had written the text. Um, but it's, it is a fascinating story. I mean, the idea of it starting off where you know, the devil shows up in, in Russia, in Moscow <laughs> to meet, uh, a couple of individuals who happen to be walking in a park and then jumping through time as he tells the story of, of Pontius Pilate. It's, it's remarkable literature and like, you got to read it because <laughs> it's just I, I can't wait to actually read it again because this is that type of thing where it's like uh, it's it's stories within stories within stories. Yeah, the devil went down to Moscow. Was he looking for a soul to steal? Yeah. Well, you know, or <laughs> I was I was fascinated. You know, one of the things I, I you know, I I started thinking about when I had read this and I was like putting it together. I'm like, this is like. You know, and this is probably a dumb moment for anyone that is a Rolling Stones fan, but I was like, this has to be somewhat what the, what sympathy for the devil came out from. And sure enough, hmm. I did I did a little bit of uh, you know low low caliper research <laughs> that that is done these days by going onto the internets, and um, there's there is some uh, indication that um, that Mick Jagger actually had been given this book. Uh, by his then girlfriend, uh, and that sparked him writing. I think the song that he actually has the only credits for writing the music and lyrics to in the Rolling Stones on his own. But you know, that's obviously all like uh, a larger take on the topic. And like I said, like uh, immense take on this seems to be very, very much focused on uh, the Punch's Pilot side of the story, which is it, it, so interesting. And the the picture in the book. Uh, or the picture in the booklet of for yield is clearly, you know, like a tie in reference to that of pilot on the mountaintop waiting to be released by the master and be given his, you know, his freedom from his, you know, his own personal anguish over his 
uh, relationship of you know, what he what he had done to uh, in his mind, and not not that he had done it, but in his mind, what he did to Jesus of Nazareth. But he was actually sort of twisted into that uh, that decision, and it goes into a little bit of the the, the lyrics of that that whole you know. I, I've been trying to like un, unravel the, that aspect of it, what the talk of circles and punching down and drawing circles, what that whole thing is about. And it's is just like the mindset of the conversations that were happening between him, the, the Pontius Pilate and Jesus and and uh, the the high priest and, you know, all of the the machinations that went on to that in the way that Bogokov uh, basically presents that which is just again it's fascinating so highly worth reading yeah i um i don't know i got a real a different take from it than you it's the it it did seem like kind of like three parts and but it was like more like a collection of of shorter sort of stories i didn't see any mention of pontius Pilate in there there was a guy named tully mars and, oh wait no i was reading tales from margaritaville by jimmy buffett that's <laughs> oh damn it. I read the total wrong book. <laughs> Very well played. Very well played. That I've been I've been waiting to make that joke <laughs> since hit record. <laughs> and the uh and the booklet too uh Jeff writes uh thanks Brett and Richard, which Richard uh Stuverand. Uh, that uh, that he has a uh, longtime musical collaboration friendship with, and um, don't know who the Brett is. Is that Brett Eliason or? I kind of assume that maybe it's uh, maybe that's like a poor assumption, but I I feel like it doesn't make sense because um, I looked actually quickly to see if there was somebody involved in the Three Fish recordings. Um, but I think my best take is that it would have to be Brett Eliason because it, it doesn't make sense otherwise. But um, I'm sure there are, you know, I'll I'll cop to the fact that there are other Bretts in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, my take was that it was um, Brett Eliason. Um, and uh, obviously, Richard Superman was in Three Fish. They were doing quite a bit of music at that time. They had recorded they their self-titled album three fish um in 96 and then um the second one the quiet table came out um probably a year after yield but i think they recorded a bunch of it prior to that and uh that that was a huge influence on immense music going forward you know you you think so much like the way he talks and presents himself as punk rock and not that there's anything wrong with that because I love myself some punk rock, but his his writing, like when you think about this song, you think about low light, you think about something like on the most recent record, All Right, he is he's like a and some of the tracks that he wrote for like binaural, like nothing as it seems, he's a he's in a different headspace mm -hmm. uh, than than sometimes like he categorizes himself in, uh, and it's a it's a great one. I mean this that again like there's such a great vibe and journey to the song sometimes it's hard to like really get your head wrapped around that it's um barely two minutes and 50 seconds of music because sometimes I, i'll listen to it and be like oh that was like a nice really long journey and uh i just find myself getting lost in the the rhythm that he uh that he built for this one it does have like a sort of different sound i think than 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 other pearl jam kind of up to that point but then again 
I don't know, like all all their stuff kind of uh, in 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 its way sounds different than all the other sort of stuff. But I think yeah, but like I was saying, it's like it all sounds like it all sounds like Pearl Jam, and um, um, I like the uh the weird little I don't know if it's a keyboard or if it's like a guitar sort of with a weird effect on it, like a kind of like weird like siren sound. <laughs> Coming up, like at the end, the kind of maybe like a slide whistle or something. I don't know ish sound. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a the guitar playthrough effect. But I know what you're talking about. It has that like you know very like whirling whistling type of character to it. <laughs> that's that's especially if you listen to it in headphones, where you really pick up that uh, that dynamic to it. Yeah, and um, and it's, it starts with the verse and then it has a kind of like fake out for the chorus and then goes right back into the verse. Always is kind of like, oh, that's cool. It's typical that that's our, you know, for for Jeff Ament seems to be typical. Like he loves those odd time signatures where um, and that's why I think he actually um, he connects well with Matt Cameron because they both like that, like, you know, ability to yeah. to jump between um between rhythms and time signatures in a way that uh, that can make songs really interesting. Um, and just so like that, I love the layers of acoustic guitar in this and how it, you know, how it builds and swells. And it just has a, has a really, really interesting introspective uh, vibe to it. And I was trying to look up, it's like, is that the, the, the name of Jeff, Jeff Amen's dog? Is it like is it that is that the is that the black dog that I've seen on a bunch of things like in Banga or oh I don't know <laughs> is it Banga or is that actually Pontius Pilate's dog is Banga am I mixing that up <laughs> um, I can't remember what his dog's name was I think Banga was uh, the name of uh, I think that's actually the name of Pontius Pilate's dog so I think I'm totally I'm I'm morphing the two together I don't know the the, the you were saying like um talk of like the the circles and stuff like that and the 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 image i got was a a kind of dog just walking in a circle like and it's gonna gonna lay down I get now. That's very interesting. I didn't think of it that way. I was, yeah, I was, I was getting myself wrapped up in in the stories and the the conversations that the people are having. But yeah, yeah, absolutely, I can see that. Yeah, because then everything else is <laughs> is the uh, is is the Jeff poet mode where it's just. But all... you could even see that, like, walks me out of town. How do you? What are you doing with your dog? You're yeah. taking the the walk, and you know, you're with your one your dog that's a crowd that's all you're gonna take and that you you know now i think about that making angels in the dirt what do you see like i have had a couple of dogs in my my time and you know they nothing pleases them more than jumping into a like dirt and rolling around in it for some reason that's like their uh their high moment of the day if they can find a nice patch of dirt that they can rub into Mm -hmm. i can now that's interesting take on that and seeing that this is like really like and and that actually makes a ton of sense based on his feeling and like what he was you know saying he was thinking with the dream and then the the the, the image of him for the, for the yield booklet being on the mountain and the, again the connection of uh, of how Punch's pilot ends and or at least how his part of the story ends um, in Master and Margarita um, is very aligned with that. 
this is really like a look at hanging out with your dog and coming to like coming to terms with things. I am very, very like my mind is like wrapped into trying to unpack that stunned by my own reflection. Looking back, sees me too clearly um, verse. Cause it's so amazing, but yet it's like, what is that just like happenstance of like, okay, I happened to be walking on the mountain and I saw my reflection in the lake and that's what I'm talking about. Or is this like some like esoteric way of talking about something within the pages of the book? <laughs> and it's a, uh, and like not to, you know, jump off a of pilot, but this also comes right on the heels of in hiding and that mm-hmm. whole element of uh, in hiding has like a, a big tie to that element, that whole idea of, you know, you've gone and taken yourself out of, out of experience. And suddenly you're seeing things in a different way. Yeah. Um, but I kind of was wondering, like, I think about that and I was like, is that that whole element of stunned by my, my own reflection, looking back, sees me too clearly is that it, the, a lot of that struck me as a lot of the pilot plot in the book of his, the story angle where it's very much pilot sort of, it, or at least being the main character of, of that part of the story and, and describing how he felt and what happened as well as the angles from the, the other two tellings where, you know, he's released in the end by the master and then um, the, the tellings from, from Woland is from a more of a, a far earlier, earlier in the, the book and the earlier chapters of, you know, what his take in history was. So I feel like that, 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 that's like packed into this, this whole piece. And it's, it's really, again, it's like these lyrics, now that I look at them, like it's not that I took them for granted or didn't care about them, but it was just something that I, I found myself easily able to like, Oh yeah, I understand that. Like I, I kind of get where he's coming from here. And I heard that he wrote this about this book and I was like, Oh, I get it. And I knew who Punch's pilot was. And I was like, okay, that all makes sense. But now having read the book, this <laughs> has a vastly different, you know, array of ways that he's ex- trying to express things. And, uh, he's a complex and interesting dude, Jeff Matt. He, I love the way he writes songs. They're not, they're never on the nose. And every time you, I think now, like every time you listen to his songs, it's like it's opening a book mm-hmm. and like reading it a different way or from a different angle, especially if you've got some distance from the first time you've, you heard the song. And it's he's a fascinating he's really a fascinating songwriter. His songs are really, really interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think that um that, that bridge is kind of like the direct connection ish sort of thing to uh to low light because he's saying you know stunned by my own reflection and then in low light he's like can't wear my mask so it's kind of like the looking into yourself sort of um this is the setup of it and then the the resolution is you know in low light the way he uh the way he describes it for the uh uh, how he how he sees them when you wrote them yep i could see that for sure yeah it is it is kind of i think like um kind of seem it seems like a really like the definition of an album track as kind of you know not a huge hit but it's something that's that's real good and i think like belongs on it like not something that's kind of like ah they could have left this off it's kind of like okay yeah this is like one of the things that you know you put it out put on an album like this and uh and uh no way which uh we we've of course covered already as you're listening to this uh podcast yeah um (laughs) 
that uh, <laughs> are kind of the, you know, at least in the first half, like these, like, okay, these are kind of good songs. We're throwing them on there. We know they're not going to be huge, but we like them. And, uh, and, and, and here you go, people. Yeah. And I think ironically, the, the songs that I ended up gravitating to on this record and it, in hindsight, it could look like, oh, you're gravitating to, towards them because they're those like rare ones that never got played. But tr- truthfully, when the, this record was released, I was excited and like uh, into this one. I was into No Way. I was into All Those Yesterdays. Frankly, I liked a lot of of yield um and i was just, i was i was very very eager to hear how these ones would, would go off live and uh and how they they would fit and obviously this is again like we, i think we mentioned earlier one of the ones that didn't quite take off as as uh, much as i thought it might and yeah. it, but it's interesting to listen to it in the the recent years where it's not like they've played it a ton but they they've certainly mixed it in and i feel like they play it in a way that's quite solid mm-hmm. and it's like play it more often because now you got it it's kind of like what low light became when they finally started playing that and they finally got it into a a groove that they felt good about it's like okay well now you feel it now it's working for you and you know it would be okay to play it more <laughs> than <laughs> than every you know twice a tour or, you know um you know feel feel comfortable to play it every few nights because it's a good one i just like and it's and it's not it's it's certainly not something that's like gonna limit their their uh their set list take and it's just like again it has i guess i don't know what it was early on where they couldn't feel like they could quite get it live i don't know if it was like i wonder often because of the studio recording has such a heavy acoustic element to it that they just didn't feel like that translated into the live environments that they were playing and they didn't start really dabbling with um in the arenas and the sheds that they normally had played um it wasn't until 2003 where i think you know stone more often was comfortable playing acoustics um you know in in, in live shows and felt like okay we i can get the sound where i want it to be but it's still even at that point you know the song went away for a decade you know they played it in 2000 a few times and then they were like yeah and yeah. then you know 2009 2010 or they broke it out a couple of times and i'm all i guess i would always be curious that would be one of the things like you hear people like say like oh what would you do or what would you say to the band if you got to talk to them the problem my my thing would be like i would want to know what it was that you know with these five or six songs why don't you play them more often <laughs> what was it and it's like and it's okay if there's a reason for it like they just didn't like oh we couldn't feel it but like i i would always be interested to know like what was it about it that you felt like okay this will be one that we kind of bust out every you know twice every third tour (laughs) have you uh have you ever seen him play the song i have not i have not and that is a it's a painful point for me Uh, (laughs) because again i loved it like uh, you know and i saw a bunch of tour a bunch of this tour i i saw several shows on the yield tour i got to see i was very fortunate to go to um several shows in uh in along like the midwest northeast and the august portion of the tour and then i there was a at the time i was living in manhattan so there was three there's two tour two shows at madison square garden one at uh, uh brendan burn arena which is just outside of uh the city and um i did get to see 
quite a bit of great music, but um, yeah, Pilot was not played on the second half of the Yield Tour. Uh, the shows that I happened to catch when they were playing in uh, Binaural Tour, they did not uh, break out Pilot for that, and then it went away for a decade, and then that was a point in time where I didn't see them nearly as frequently, um, so I didn't get any of those 2009-10 airings that they had uh, busted out, and uh, now it's like... I feel like if I if they play again in Missoula, Montana, I'll go, and then they won't, and then and then they won't play it there. Um, so it's uh it's like uh it's chasing it's it is it is one of my whales. It's one of those songs that I, I would love to get and and hear live, but mm-hmm. I've yet to uh to catch it. Yeah, I guess I, I I've seen it once in in two thousand in San Diego. I gotta I gotta go back and listen to that bootleg. You lucky duck. That's a great show. That's a fun, like those 2000 shows are really fun. They're just like, uh, every one of them is like, you know, so different at that time. Um, mm-hmm. so, many, so many different things happening, but, uh, yeah, there was, they, they did that. What, how many times did they played that? Like four times in 2000, I think. Do you think there's anything else about this, uh, this song that got to get out of there? So I, I, I would, uh, I don't think I just I would just highly encourage uh, when when uh, if you have not read this book, read it and then read it again and delve into all of the marvelous things that are discussed about it uh, in literary circles, because it's a fascinating story. It's a, it's got a lot of layers to it and um, it's it's interesting historical stuff that is um, is worth people's time. And like I said, I. Uh, I kicked myself for not having gotten to it till this year, but, uh, oh, well I did finally <laughs> and it's good and you should read it. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you, uh, you know, check out your library, they might have eBooks of it that, uh, absolutely. That you, you can, can do, borrow and you can do eBooks. I know libraries, uh, uh, you can, you know, depending on where we are in uh, the time when this comes out, you might be able to do some limited entry or indoor uh, drive-through. I know my wife works at a, a library on the side from her her job as a teacher, and they just started uh, doing the drive-through uh, checkout. So you could do that. But, oh, cool! But yeah, eBooks you could do. If you're into the audio books, you can do the audio books. I'm sure someone's got an audio book of this. Yeah, and pretty much like everybody who. Like all the critics say that this is like one of the greatest like Russian novels from the uh, from the twentieth century. Absolutely, and I can see why now. I mean, it's so it's like uh, it deals with so many layers of uh, of really interesting historical significance and uh, and also just like ideas of you know what what's what speech is and what uh, you know what what it is to express oneself. Um, so it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, like I said, um, this is one that I'm probably going to go back to more than once. I tend to do that when I like find books that are really interesting and, and layered. I don't like to be like, Oh, I'm done. I'd like to go back and, and peel back the onion layers and and figure out what I might've missed. And so, uh, let's, let's wrap this up. Is there, uh, what do you think that people should do to try to uh, spread kindness out in the world, to uh, share the light, as it were? I'm going to ask people to, um, uh, th- so as this is, uh, and I'm not going to, I don't want to be a, a downer. As when people get to this, it's going to be months off this. This is a, a positive, um, as you know, we're recording this around um, 
Father's Day, but um, my son passed away a few years ago, and we actually, as a family, had the opportunity to, um, with doctors, be encouraged to do um, uh, organ donation, tissue donation. Um, so I'm going to ask people to uh, to take the time to look at DonateLife.net. Um, it's a great thing to do to uh, be a donor. It's a complex thing to do. It's a complex decision to have to make when you're making that about someone else, but you can do it and in a way and you you'll understand uh the significance of things that you can do for not only your yourself um but for for other people and uh it's uh it's quite extraordinary and i just uh encourage people to if you if they haven't to uh to do to take that on to register to be a donor um because there's so many different things you can do and uh it's given us a lot of personal joy and reflection and being able to do that. And it's something that I think uh, if people can can wrap their heads around um, and it's not an easy topic and it's not, it seems like an easy topic, but it's, it's uh, extraordinarily valuable in a multitude of ways. Cause I think a lot of people think about donation and they always think about organs, hearts, lungs, things, and kidneys. There's so much more to it than that. Um, and uh, so yeah, I would, that's my my go-to right now is uh, it's an easy task for everyone to do and it can be so powerful and beneficial to um, to people that are in need um, of a great many things. It's an easy thing to do. So I encourage people to go look at that, educate yourself and if you can register and uh, and if people had questions about it because they wanted to, they could you know I would be happy to talk people through it because it's not a it's not a hard process. Well, thanks. Um, if, if if you want people to contact you, then do you have uh, plugs for social media or anything? Then you can find me on the books of face and uh, on the twitters on with my just general name of Patrick Bogle. But uh, you could also, if you did want to reach out with questions about that, you could also just email me at p bogle. That's b o e g e l at gmail dot com, and I would be happy to entertain questions and help people through that uh that process because i've been through it and it's uh again highly it's a very rewarding experience to know that uh people have benefited well thanks for coming on and thanks for always spreading the uh the pearl jam knowledge all over us like uh like the, the, the 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 eponymous jam of their name I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm happy to do it. Uh, you know, I love like nothing more than, you know, I've been, we've, I think we've all been fortunate to have access to this type of music and art that makes people think, makes people react and makes people hopefully become better i know it's made me become better and i know i'm also not perfect um but uh it's definitely made me try to be like a lot better at what i do and i hope it always uh pushes me in that direction so i love talking about this band and their music and their art and i hope there's tons more of it i i that's like uh one thing that i'm never gonna take for granted again and that's not even because of life that's been going on right now this uh a few years ago i i became cognizant of don't take things for granted. And, 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 uh, I, I just hope that, uh, everybody has the opportunity to, to get out to a show when it's safe and, uh, and it's enjoyable and, and 
there's more from them to come because uh, they still got it. The Better Brand Podcast is produced by listenabrino.com and Brandon Palomo and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email listenabrino at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Better Band Pod. I am on Twitter at Brandon P, B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Brandon P and leave me a $3 tip or give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Patrick and as always, this is Brandon saying... Now the kilt was only for day-to-day wear, and battle we donned a full-length ball gown covered in sequins. The idea was to blind your opponent with luxury.